Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome back to the pod again. And if you hadn't realized this already, you, our two parters are actually recorded back to back and then released in consecutive weeks. That's uh, roughly three hours of recording time just for you guys. And it also means it's three hours of Alps time. So thank you so much, Alp, for dedicating so much time to this. Um, and that's Alp from Langopedia. So welcome again to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Right. If you haven't heard the first one, go back and listen to it, you know, because it goes on and details about like Alps' story. It's a great story to listen to, really. And it's a good, like, there's a good joke, a few jokes in there as well. Um, but, to, you know, this part, this second parter is literally all about Langer, right? Because we've never had a podcast dedicated about Langer or even Langer really doesn't really get much of a, a shoe in in a lot of our podcasts. So it'd be interesting to see where this goes. Right. So Jacqueline, could you kick us off? For sure. Um, so I guess what better way to kick off this part of the podcast than with a little bit of a history lesson, which, you know, Alp, there are still many people that have probably don't know the whole story of Langa and its return. Um, can you briefly tell us the story to our audience? Um, sure, sure. So um, it was found by Ferdinand Langa in 1845. Uh, with the idea of creating a not a watchmaking company alone, but to create a watchmaking cluster in Gloucester, um, and he started with uh, 15 employees in the beginning, and they were required to work with him for at least five years before venturing onto their businesses. Um, but after five years, it was just like the Swiss way of manufacturing watches which is uh, one part was excelling in making hands, one part was in the wheels, one part was in the plates, and they were all coming together under certain brands, which uh, I believe the most prominent was Montlanga. Um, but other than that, they call it the uh, four horsemen of glass of the watchmaking industry, which is Adolf Schneider, Morris Grossman, and Julius Asman, other than uh, Lange uh, himself. Um, the Gloucester watchmaking industry thrived tremendously in the 19th and towards the beginning of 20th century. Um, they were doing exceptional watches, which I believe we know some of them, you know, from the grand complications uh, from the era. And um, but after that, uh, with how the fate of Germany went on, the watchmaking industry also followed in the 1920s. Um, and then they started to, you know, going backwards compared to where Swiss was definitely thriving in their highly complicated pieces. Um, obviously, the Gloucester watchmaking companies tried to somehow balance it out with creating perhaps more machine-made and, I don't know, less costly watches, but it didn't work as well because they lost the second part of the plot which was the wristwatches. So they never got into that industry. And when they got it in, it was already too late. And um, the company was going bad. And then the Second World War happened uh, right after the you know hyperinflation coming in the 30s, etc. So they never really quite catch the break in that part. And um, then Walter Lange and you know, the Gloucester region as a whole was 
confiscated by Soviets, and Walter Lange was uh, expelled to Western Germany, to Pforzheim. And after that, uh, what many people don't know is actually he started to revive and, you know, his family business there again. And this time the name was um, not Alang & Zöne or Alang & Company, but the name of the watches were Alp, uh, which, which symbolized Alang & Fortsheim. Uh, they did really small batches for, um, I don't know, five to six years, I guess, with his brother and his wife. And, but it didn't go so well. Um, so then he worked at Wellendorf, and which would be a great, actually, partner when they refounded Alang & Zöne in 1990s. Um, after that, uh, he retired in the age of 60 or so. And obviously, he was going back and forth between Glashütte whenever it was possible to, again, you know, see the opportunities on meet with the family, friends back then. Um, but he, he was ready to retire, and it was at that time when the Berlin Wall just came down, you know, out of nowhere. And then, obviously, on the other side of the border, there was um, a literal genius called Günther Blumlein. And Blumlein was at the helm of IWC and JLC. So he wanted to put a third brand in the portfolio, a brand that could perhaps compete and you know clash with the historic king of watchmaking which is Patek Philippe obviously and um, again what many people don't know I guess is he went back and forth to Glossutte many many times to find the right name because he was looking for GUB at the beginning Glossutte uh, you know with the literal name of Glossutte but GUB was too obsolete and too big for him uh, that they were employing like 3,000 people and making just serial production watches. So then he turned his face to Alang & Zöne to revive, you know, from the olden days as the flag carrier of the region. And I believe the best way to revive this brand was to, and he believed it so obviously, was to bring Walter Lange on board. Because when you venture into, you know, such an adventure, you would love to have someone that would infuse that incomparable culture and, um, you know, and the history to the employees and, you know, whatever you're trying to manufacture from the, from the brand. So he, he reached out to Walter Lange and what I heard was Walter Lange didn't even hesitate for a second. And um, he came down to Gloucester at the age of 66. They founded the brand on December the 7th. On 1990, exactly 145 years when Ferdinand Lange uh, registered the name uh, 145 years ago. And I guess the rest is history. Mm, wow. Great. There you have it, folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just really... the last part. I was I didn't know anything about the first part of, of yeah. what you told us. Um, yeah. Clearly, all that PR training back at Langer, you, you were recalling it, <laughs> weren't you? You were thinking, oh, thank God for all that. Thank God for all that training. Yeah, reading like textbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <clears throat> Go, going on from that, you know, Alp, you are seen as an all knowing person now in Langer, but are there any other like things that you can tell us about Langer that most people don't know, right? Like any facts or anything where we, people go, wow, I didn't know that. Like, could you share some of those with us? Um, I guess, I mean, with, with 
to be honest, the marketing side of Langet did a tremendous job since their inception. Um, if you would ask two years ago, everybody would back for the opposite because Langet's secondary market was complete crap compared to today. And people were, you know, putting it in relation to their marketing efforts were bad, et cetera. I definitely disagree. The marketing department of Langer focused only one thing since the beginning, and that is the product. So, you know, they went literally every detail of what they were trying to, you know, manufacture and sell to you. So if someone even slightly, you know, tried to read what Langer is about, I believe they are going to have an idea of everything, what they are trying to do in Gloucester. Um, what is perhaps kind of interesting for me was, you know, from the beginning, was their double assembly process. Um, so double assembly process is, uh, you know, this is something that most brands actually do, which they are not loud about it. So there, there is not much, how to say, extreme holiness in there. Um, because, you know, whenever you're making a watch, you have to assemble and disassemble it many, many times over until you get it right. Um, but with Lange, it something different was they do it even with their tubographs or ground complications. Um, uh, when, when they first assemble it, um, which takes like three weeks to four weeks uh, for their best watchmaker to hands on to it. And then the guy says, all right, you know, this works great now. You know, the accuracy results are amazing. Um, everything works fluidly. There is no oil leaking, whatever problem there is. And then the guy literally disassembles the four weeks work and cleans it up every part, you know, polishes it to the best way he can. And he just, he just checks if there is something wrong with it, not or not. Um, not necessarily there is something wrong, but it is something that they just do. And he just reassembles it. And I mean, to me, it is something that shows how willing they are to go to the extra step in whatever they're doing. Hmm. This kind of leads into my question. So right. the original question was that Lange being German, what makes German watchmaking different from Swiss? And like you said, the Swiss probably have like departments that specialize in hands and then cases and then they assemble together. And perhaps for Germans, it's just one person making the whole watch. And then, then I thought, okay, so what could be different with the marketing? And then, mm -hmm. like you said, with Lange, maybe they focus on the product. And I think with Swiss brands, they have a whole story, like say Paddock, you know, passing yeah. it on to the next generation. So yes. then it made me think, what would be different with how they do allocations for pieces? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is, do you see a difference with how they allocate pieces uh, or like special pieces for customers? Yeah. Um, so to your first remark about you know whether they make, I mean, Langa doesn't make cases on their own. Um, they mm -hmm. also outsource, and um, the mm -hmm. hands are outsourced, as far as I know, I guess, uh, which is common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, you know, there are, there are pieces that I guess that the watchmaker just sits on top and then builds it from the base. Mm -hmm. And obviously, there are pieces that goes through a certain line as well. So that's, you know, that's kind of, I guess, the accepted way of uh, making watches, right? In the, in the industrial society that we're living in now. Um, apart from, you know, what makes their watches different from the Swiss, it's definitely right from the start is their case design for me. 
It has always been. Um, this was again something uh, that is from Günther Blumlein. Um, I mean, because he was so immersed into Swiss watchmaking with a German flair, he's a German himself, he just wanted to differentiate it somehow from the Swiss. And Swiss is always, I mean, you know, Patek's gorgeous cases, right? It just flows. Um, you know, it never breaks. But with Germans or Alangenzone especially, and in the previous episode, we talked about Moritz Grossman as well, how beefy they are on the, on the looks mm-hmm. too. This is all from Günther Brumlein and how he envisioned a German watch case should be. It is, mm-hmm. it is like a sculpture, right? It looks industrial. It looks, uh, it, it, it doesn't flow, but it has certain parts that are attached and then, you know, grown out of it, especially the lugs. So for me, it is the, you know, number one differentiator. But in more general sense, for Blumlein and Walter Lange to succeed, their only chance was to differentiate for the better. They couldn't just claim something, we're doing this better, but they needed to do something entirely different so that they can actually you know, have a saying in the rather crowded marketplace. And that was the whole inspiration to create something like Lange 1 or Datagraph. Or if you look at the Zeitwerk, to me, it is the second renaissance of Lange um, you know, that, that was the whole idea of how they wanted to differentiate from the Swiss. Um, regarding your question on allocations and, you know, how they, how they do it, um, I guess it, it started on 2018, right? Something like that, 2017, mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. It started in that era. Um, I mean, obviously there are, there are ups, upsides and downsides. Um, in the end, it's a, it's a business strategy that company adopted on and the client mm-hmm. has all the saying whether they would like to continue with them or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they took a risk on that front. Um, circling back just a little bit on this. So Lange always relied on retailers, like local retailers that would sell mm-hmm. their watches. And it's, it started first with uh, German-speaking countries, and then it spread through Europe, mostly in Singapore, China, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it got them on the map rather quickly compared to if they would have built themselves in the beginning. But mm-hmm. it also hurt them a lot because, I mean, in, in, two, in the mid-2000s, you would just get a lot of pieces from discount. Mm-hmm. Right from from the from the retailers like Langa ones you would get for I don't know thirty five percent discount mm-hmm. right off the bat even if you don't start talking at all and mm-hmm. um, so Langa to me just wanted to drop this and you know take control of their I don't know whole supply chain all the allocations to me it was a great choice in their in their regard I guess I would do the same and um, I guess mm-hmm. it goes without saying. Um, you know, with Patek Philippe, it's kind of a different story because Patek Philippe has been strong since 89. And um, so they, they already had all the power to excel or apply over the retailers. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. find anyone except for, I don't know, several collections, I guess, to offer you a 40% discount right off the bat, right? Yeah. Um, but Lange was different. So they tried to take it in-house and they did it, you know, in a tremendous speed, I guess. I mean, they opened, mm-hmm. what, like 15, 20 boutiques in a year mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then obviously when you gain control over all of your selling process, then you can dictate whoever you're selling it or not. And at, 
at one point, Blanga took the bitter pill for status because it, it could also very much backlash because the guy could mm-hmm. say, dude, your watch sells 40% discount mm-hmm. right next to you. So yeah. I'm not going to get it from you. And you, know, you just go on your own way. But mm-hmm. they managed it very well since the beginning, to be honest. And um, obviously, they were trying to get all of these retailer clients into the boutiques. And to do that, they released I mean, crazy special editions from the Lumens to 175th anniversaries or the blue dial longer ones, mm-hmm. you know, whatever mm-hmm. you can't get from a retailer, they just force people to get them. And I mean, they're great watches. So people had mm-hmm. no problems in getting them. Right. And, um, but now obviously we are hearing a lot of, um, how to say, uh, painful stories, like how people who supported the brand from the mid thousands of the nineties, they had only one chance to buy a Lange and that was from the retailer. And mm. now if they go to the boutique, the boutique sometimes tells them, you know, your purchase does not count because you haven't purchased it from the boutique. The guy says, I didn't have a boutique in my region for the 20 years that I spotted you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how does it make sense? And they say, yeah, uh, that's the story. Um, mm. I mean, this might be a regional case, um, mm. you know, whatever that is. But obviously, there are some people who are getting uh, upset about it, which they are mm-hmm. 100% right. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it different from the Swiss? Um, that was the question. I, I believe Odemar Piguet was the first one to do it, or, right, or Richard Mill, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, so to me, this is, you know, this is copying a strategy and rather evolving it and adapting it to their own production value. And if you if you look at the market now, it makes wonders. So from the allocation perspective, I don't see much of a difference. Mm, okay. Mm. Uh, okay. Next question, Dan. Right. Right. Uh, is it my question? Right. Yeah. Is it what other brands should we be paying attention to, aside <laughs> from Langer German brands? Uh, German brands. Yeah. Um, right. So, and is their design is philosophy like similar to Langer? Right. There is definitely Moritz Grossman. Um, I mean, not much of a similar design philosophy uh, to certain parts, perhaps. Mm. Um, but, but in the end, I mean, they, they make exceptional watches. I mean, to me, uh, at their region of, let's say, 20 to 50,000. I guess they offer some of the best value in the market, especially from the German region. Mm. Um, so Maurice Grossman is definitely one. And other than that, there is Langunheine. Mm. Um, mm. Right, Langunheine was uh, founded by two independent watchmakers. Actually, one of the founders worked at Lange for quite a while as well as a prototypes mm. too. Mm-hmm. So um, those guys are making, to me, the best watches ever coming from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from obviously the, the design perspective is something completely subjection, uh, subjective, but from the crafts and the work, the amount of work that they put on these watches are just incredible. Mm. Um, I have a friend who is a work, uh, watchmaking there and um, who also worked at different watchmakers in the region as well. And what he says is he says that we have only one standard and it is the best and mm. for them there is no acceptable 
You know, there is, there is not something acceptable. He says that we have no process at all to produce watches because mm. I remember my watch went to the quality inspector like mm. six to seven times and then just, you know, came back and forth, back and forth until it was 100% done. And this is something that I guess we can't find in any of the industrial producers because for them, there is a level of acceptance, but for these guys, there's not. The only accepting thing is the best for them. Mm. And um, other than that, there is definitely uh, from the from the more budget guys, there is Dornblut, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Um, they, they make quite cool pieces, definitely, and which they have their own you know, in-house basic movements. And then there is obviously Kudoke, uh, again from Dresden, which have a very unusual of <laughs> designing watches, and um, and I guess my whole time favorite should be Klinks, uh, Christian mm. Klinks. Mm. Um, uh, he he got deservedly famous for the last mm. three years or so, um, but the watches that he made, I remember seeing for the first time in 2018 or so. Mm. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, mm. You know, the individuality of that watch is crazy. And yeah, I mean, there are a lot of values that one can discover, I guess, if you look yeah. at it. There's a really nice Christian Klinks that's coming out. Uh, the Philips auction, yeah. I think. Absolutely. It's so different. It's like every mm-hmm. single piece that I've seen him make is yes. so uniquely different. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. There's a, yeah, there's a language that flows throughout them, obviously, like with the movements and, and the, the dials, you know, the guiche oftentimes but the case shapes are often very yes. very different and it's interesting um i i just thought of a question Elp, i wanted to ask you which is you know um it's very famously said that when you visit um the manufacturer uh, of Lange and then you bring your watch and they look at it under a loop and you can and they can tell which engraver engraved your watch um is that true because I mean, <laughs> I think it's true, but like, how will they know? Because yeah. I've heard that the engravers work in their own like little home offices or something, right? Um, so, no, they well, are, you, I guess. You, 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 you say it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I asked the same question, to be honest. <laughs> it was my first visit, was in 2018. I brought along the one. And um, the, who engraved my watch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he looked at it. No, she looked at it. Uh, she looked at it, and um, she said, "Yeah, I did this." I said, "Wow, amazing!" You know, let's take a photo. And <laughs> you know, she gave me the envelope and the card with the signature, etc. And I mean, but but after I started working at Lange, right, uh, seeing the engravers many times because I was also, you know, from time to time giving tours uh, to visitors. And um, so all the visitors would break their own longer watches and the engraver would look at them and sell them. Okay, so this is Helmut, this is Stefan, uh, whoever that is. Uh-huh. And I mean, I, I, I was looking at it kind of skeptically. <laughs> like, how the hell can you differentiate so quickly? <laughs> and, um, and whoever, point, was, whoever was working that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, I, I checked with the, with one of the gentlemen uh, who was working at Lange for what 23 years at the time mm-hmm. uh, as an engraver, I mean, I asked him, "Do you just ever give a name and <laughs> just let the guy go, or do you really know, you know, what's going on, dude?" I told him that you know I am I am a colleague of you now, 
So just be honest with me. We are drinking beers here. <laughs> and I, but what the guy literally said, no, man. He said, we definitely know, you know, who did it. Because mm-hmm. even though we have a general pattern of mm-hmm. what we need to infuse in the, in the balance cock, we still have our signature lines on how mm-hmm. we do it. Like one guy puts flowers there and the other guy puts the flowers here. And then mm-hmm. one guy curves them upwards, the other puts downwards. So there are little mm-hmm. details that uh, they immediately catch up on. Mm. Oh, wow. That's great to, you know, no, I'd be so like hurt if you had said, yeah, they actually just made it up. Like, yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. Which I was expecting, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, what, what do you think? Um, you know, they've got, there's a lot of competition now, you know, a lot of people even, even going into the independence, especially even German independence, many of what you just said. Yeah. How do Langer keep right at the top? What do you think they could be better at improve in your opinion? Right. Um, I mean, we, we are living in an interesting time, definitely, because even the smallest independent now that you wouldn't hear two to three years ago, have a waiting list. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can't get anyone, uh, you can't get anything from anyone. Um, so, but on the other side is independency or, you know, I guess turning your face towards independence represents kind of the end piece of the hobby. So mm. up until you go towards the independent watchmakers like Dernbluth or, you know, Langon Heine or, mm. I don't know, there, there is a gentleman called, uh, not gentleman, but a brand called Bellier from Munich, uh, mm the watchmaker makes only like 10 to 12 pieces a year. And so up until you get to that point, you already go through, you know, certain usual suspects and then you go to longer, right? You hang on to it there for that because their design philosophy is completely different from what you would look at from Swiss brands. So you would need to adjust yourself a little bit. In time, you become a customer of them because you got to feel the watch in the end. Mm. And, you know, you live with it. And after some point, you know, from my observation, after only a couple of years, people start to, you know, go much more in depth and see what other brands or what other individuals has to offer. So from their point on, I believe Langer's, you know, positioning in that German watchmaking cluster is, I'd say, um, very much solidified Mm. because they are offering a level of crafts a level of history, just like we speak, I mean, Swiss speaks about history as well, but obviously it's an inseparable part of the brand. So, you know, you get this craft, you get this history, you get this kind of an industrial scale and compared to what you would get, I don't know, from an independent, let's think of a, I don't know, Saxonia at 20,000 euros. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is still kind of understandable when you go to Bellier or where you go to, I don't know, Langenheine, I guess and get a 300 from them. So for me, they're doing a great job in every section. Um, Obviously there are pieces that I like, I critique uh, every time I post on Langipedia, but to me, their collection is very much focused and uh, on the right track. Mm. I think it's a later question, but I think this kind of follows Mm. up uh, perfectly with what you just said, which is what did you think of their new lineup for watches and wonders this year oh yeah yeah um i mean i haven't handled them so i, I mm. stuck in turkey unfortunately um 
But I mean, obviously, the titanium motors uses everyone's favorites. Mm. Uh, what I'm wondering is if they would introduce that three years ago. I wonder what people would have said. But now everybody's in love with it. Um, I guess market price definitely plays a role in people's perceptions on how they love the watch or not. Um, other than that, Richard Lange minute repeater was, I mean, it's definitely a highlight, right? Um, it is their first standalone minute repeater watch. And um, if we judge by, you know, how people were critiquing the Zeitwerk minute repeater sound, I mean, obviously it's an amazing mechanical accomplishment, but what minute repeater should have done is sounding as best as possible, mm -hmm. which Zeitwerk yeah. minute repeater didn't <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for a very long time. So for them, it was a challenge. And also to show them and show the people that, you know, they are constantly developing and advancing in their watchmaking as well. Like mm -hmm. they're never stand still as in their slogan. Mm -hmm. um, so, and also Antoine de Haas was the minute repeater guy in Renard and Papi in the back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So wow. for him, it was also a personal challenge for all these years to bring this company bring this brand with no history in repeating watches mm. to a level where they can compete with the swiss right mm -hmm. because i mean protect philippe or them are big i believe making the best repeaters since 19th century so the swiss had this amazing tradition and amazing know-how on building the parts but german had zero so for him it was also a personal endeavor which as far as i heard you know they did an amazing job with richard langer um, to me, it sounded from the videos, the tones were very clear. I love the pace as well. Mm. So it looks to be a great watch. And other than that, with the Grand Langer ones, I finally, you know, I, I'm very much glad that they finally brought a different touch on the dials. It is not like a full monotone color like we, yeah. we have seen for the last 15 years, I guess. It's now they are changing something, right? They put a texture here and there. So to me, they're on a great path, and I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of longer one iterations with the same, you know, same texture playing. Mm. But I guess they haven't done for the year as well. Yeah, not yet. Just a little bit. Yeah, so we'll <laughs> exactly. See. We'll see. Um, what do you think, what would you say is like the most classic or iconic longer model? Yeah, Langer one. It's, oh, it's without a doubt for me. Yeah, absolutely. Was that and was that your first Langer? What was your first Langer? Langer one. Yeah. It was a Langer one. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I mean, uh, there are there are more important pieces in their collections. To me, when it comes to collectability, nothing beats the Tribune Preliminate in their in their collection. Uh, you know, the one from nineteen ninety four, especially if it's in platinum, I guess. Um, wasn't that like a piece oh wait no the the white gold was a piece unique right or is it a platinum no there are there is a platinum piece unique there's a white gold piece unique oh. there is another and which piece is this unique uh the tourbillon preliminary from 1994 PLM, oh. okay. yeah. with the chain yeah. Right. yeah um so they they made they made a couple of unique pieces in that collection the, I guess the wildest one was at Sotheby's in 2013. Platinum case, salmon dial, pink gold dial, to be on preliminary. That one sold for, what, 350 And I guess mm. now it's easily a million. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. 
Um, but but yeah, from the importance perspective, I mean, to me, nothing beats it. But when it comes to the langa, I guess it is the langa one. Mm. Yeah. So is that the piece that you would keep for the rest of eternity if you were only allowed to keep one langer, you know, right. discontinued or present lineup? Is that the piece you'd keep? If if I could ever buy a Tubion Plumerate, that would be it. <laughs> okay. So you'd say buy yeah. to the langer one just like that, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Dude, you're so mean, you know? <laughs> but, but no, um, I mean... Yeah, it will be to be on preliminary bad, and that is definitely like the one because I, I think no, nothing speaks the brand design language as that one. Mm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, would, so, so the Tourbillon Polymerite. Right. That is, have you seen that in person? Is there any piece that you actually, in the Lange lineup, that mm. you haven't seen in the flesh mm. yet and you really want to see? Um, yeah, I haven't seen this year's collection. Yeah. Um, but other than that, <laughs> I was, I was You're not helping awkward. your, uh, your image there. <laughs> like yeah. the image that we were building up last episode. Oh my God, I've seen yeah. it all. I've even yeah. seen the unreleased ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, the Lange, I mean, as I said in the previous episode, mm. I mean, Lange, I, I'm definitely grateful for how Langa was extremely welcoming and tolerant with me. Um, because when I went in there, I just asked them to, you know, if I can just see, if I can send you a list on the pieces that I would love to see, can you just arrange it for me? And, you know, whether, whether to say that it's possible or not. And mm. I send them an Excel sheet with mm. more than 140 references. Like, I, I remember Tony was saying, how the hell even do you know about this one? You know, and uh, you know with that reference or this reference and which again you know i'm extremely grateful he just told me to go in and um you know take a look at whatever i want and i just spent hours or i, sh I should say week actually you know mm -hmm. to handling all of those watches starting from 1994 up until today mm -hmm. so and that's why i have been <laughs> i have been able to see all of those watches oh wow right Wow, it's amazing you took that opportunity and yeah, did that. Wow, that yeah, would have been absolutely. amazing. We talked about it, that it yesterday was. or today actually about going to this someone's morning. vault and yeah, and just, <laughs> and, yeah, and just like leaving us there. Just give us some water and just <laughs> just go through everything and then tell the guy to just leave the key there. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It was I mean, whatever you can imagine. It was like because they are new old stocks, right? They they yeah. were just produced and then kept in the vault since the last yeah. thirty years. And I mean, they're everything from Langa One Ace with that solid gold guilloche dials yeah, and yeah. right, watch. yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. I mean, they, when you, when you see that golden you know escape system, I mean, that's just amazing watch. And then I don't know the editions that they made for Japan, uh, mm -hmm. which they have a you know which they have certain parts in their walls as well, and then the Tubion preliminaries, of course, in every mm -hmm. metal you know from mm -hmm. white gold blue dial to platinum ones. Uh, yeah, it was it was just a dream. Yeah. <laughs> are they are they like numbered? Is it like because I remember like isn't it XXX or is it zero zero zero? That one is never sold, isn't it? Right, right, exactly. The Tubion preliminary. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I remember the, when my friend was there in the shop 
mm. they had the the prototype and he said i want that one right now i'll pay for it right <laughs> now and yeah. they was like no it's not for sale i was like okay anything's for sale yeah and i was like god <laughs> you know why do i have to be stuck with this guy that's i mean who says that right like <laughs> you know what i mean like at least don't do it in front of me and uh you know uh, i think wilhelm was there he was just saying adamant you know it's not for sale so it like the prototype is, is xxx was zero 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 it's yeah. zero yeah so they must have it's been zero. all zeros right mm-hmm. yeah it's it was, yeah, absolutely they were all zeros and um, actually, they keep Walter Lange's uh, yellow gold as well. Uh, oh. and that's number one. And wow. um, they also keep uh, Bloomline's platinum one, which is also number one. Is there a museum? Not the rest is prototype. Mm. Um, uh, is there a museum? Yeah, well, they, uh, there... do you think they will do a museum? I think all the rage they are right going now, to. Yeah. I think they are going to at some point um, because they already have a tremendous collection. I mean, luckily for them, they only exist for the last 25 years where the world was modern, right? So they didn't have to build something like Patek Philippe have done for 60 years. Mm. You know, they, they didn't search for whatever was on the market. What they're, what they're doing or, you know, what I want to believe that they're doing is I hope that they are curating a pocket watch collection as well. Um, and also a you know, mid 20th century uh, collection too. Mm. Um, there are tremendous pieces that you guys can see on Glasgow Watch Museum, but they are not owned by Lange themselves. So if they mm. would like to venture on a museum, um, they, would, they would have to curate the previous pieces. Mm. But luckily for them is, I was just, I was just on a meeting uh, with a collector from Dresden who has an amazing pocket watch collection of Lange pocket watch collection. And they were all full set, like original box, original bill, original uh, I don't know, instruction manuals or whatever. And he told me that since most of the watches were sold within Germany, even with the two wars that are coming in and out, and even with all the turbulent area you know, that, that went on, they can find the full set pieces in great condition very easily compared to uh, early pieces of Odemar Piguet or, I don't know, Patek Philippe for some reason. So I guess it's it should definitely be in the talks. Uh, it's just a matter of when, I guess. Mm. So I'm definitely hopeful. <laughs> mm. Yeah, talking about that, right? Pocket watches and basically the stuff that you know they were producing before that hiatus. Um, yeah. How about were there any watches like produced for the Nazis? Yeah, they are many okay. so, <laughs> from like, the. So how desirable watches? Yeah, exactly. So are they highly yeah. desirable and stuff? Right, right. Um, from because how do they trade? Because to... I think yeah, because they're like Nazi, aren't they? So yeah. Um, so in the in the from the thirties up until forties, they sold a lot to uh, Nazis or the ruling party at the time. Um, I mean, I obviously don't know if they were forced to do it or you know if they were just a business. I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, there are there are there are many Nazi watches. Two parts of it is I'm sorry, three parts of it is one for officials, you know, really how to say commissioned pieces, complicated, beautiful looking, enamel dials, whatever, beautiful stuff. And then you have the military use, uh, like the marine chronometers or I don't know whatever the whatever the shipping instrument that they would use in uh, in U-boats, I guess. And then obviously there were pilot watches that were produced with uh, longest caliber 48, I guess, at the time. Um, so how do they trade is 
you don't see a lot of pilot watches or the military use watches in the market. Um, but what you see is the literal <laughs> pocket watches with uh, swastika engravings on the back. Mm-hmm. So the, these come and go quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, there is one in Gloucester Watch Museum that was literally made for Adolf Hitler. And Hitler mm-hmm. actually presented it to one of their officials. Um, one example was at Dr. Crot a couple of years ago. And the story that goes with that one is the owner offered it to Sotheby's. And, um, but Sotheby's didn't want to accept it uh, because it was politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Crot said, yeah, I would love to have it because I, you know, <laughs> we're, a, we're a German auctioneer in the end. It sounds and, like uh, something that Dr. Crot would say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the I had the chance to meet him in Geneva. And, With helmet or yeah, helmet crop. Okay. okay. And uh, we I think it, we were in the Christie's preview together. Him, a friend of mine, uh, his apprentice, and then and then Doctor Crop, and they were there examining a bunch of um, uh, really old, like centuries old, uh, Breguet pocket watches. Mm. and I spotted him across the room and then I went to say hi and and uh he was he was I was kind of nervous because you know um I obviously you know know his story and and and, and his work with um Urban Jurgensen and all that so then I had a lot of questions to ask and he didn't give two shits and he was <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was examining right and then he he looked up and i was there and then i was like oh i don't want to disrupt your time and he said no sit down he gave me a loop and then like started explaining the guilloche and the different mechanisms and the escapements and then i was like oh this is really cool um i really want to ask you some questions but i also don't want to disrupt whatever you're talking about and then and then um uh, I remember he was, and then I was asking him, I was like, so what do you think about the current catalogs and whatnot? He was just like, he, he, he was just so um, <laughs> straightforward with his replies. And he's, oh, it's a disaster. It's, it's so unfortunate. And then he's like, <laughs> look at what I'm looking at. There's not a single, uh, I don't know, like, you know, the modern pieces, it was all vintage breakaway pocket watches. All the watches he was looking at was, um, I remember there was a 3448 and then the rest were all Breguet pocket watches. Um, what a classic, classic guy. Yes. Yes, he is. He is. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the story how it ended up at uh, Dr. Code Auctioneers. And um, from there on, I guess now residing in one of the big pocket watch collectors in Germany. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but but Lange never talks about that part. Mm. So you 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 know you, you never hear <laughs> on that front. Actually, it was I believe it was uh, William Massina's uh, horological site of New York speech, where he was saying that Lange's first sports watch had to be a pilot's watch, and um, but they couldn't do it simply because you know the emotions that it would evoke. I guess. And um, so that's why they just went to, into something like Odysseus. Uh, oh. Messina yeah, said yeah. that. Messina said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a horological site of New York speech. He also gives example of how uh, Patek Philippe uh, brought the pilot's watch 
and actually blocked Lange even from trying it mm. because Lange then would seem like they were following the king, right? Mm. So that's that's his analysis of the situation. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you know a lot of collectors they have that kind of discussion maybe like in private or because of the sensitivity sensitivity you know of the topic. Do you think that? I know they they would never, but do you think Lange should? talk about it or even you know address it or um i mean i guess um how to say uh, just like germany did uh you know since the second world war in a way of accepting it and you know apologizing for it as in the best way they can i guess uh could be a way to go um but i mean seeing from people's reactions people don't seem to be you know caring about it much about it at all mm. so mm. that's why i guess brand uh doesn't even feel the need to address such a situation mm. yeah mm. right which lange do you think is underappreciated and under <laughs> the radar right now <laughs> um yeah it's 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 yeah it's I know why you're kind laughing of. because you think as soon as you say it on this podcast, it's not going to be underappreciated or under the radar, and you'd be very right in that, you know, assumption. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not not because of that also, but it always it always amuses me how how quickly Langa market has changed for the last two years. I mean, it is crazy how fast it happened. Um, yeah, long long. So piece. that's why it's crazy. Right, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> it is. It is crazy. And um, I mean, there are obviously some pieces that are under the radar. To me, the first Langamatic collection is definitely overlooked. Um, the first Langamatic collection they introduced in 97. And um, it was, uh, how to say, conceived by one of their really long-standing i mean he got retired like three years ago uh mr helmut gaia and um he just he just did it on its own time you know just creating an automatic movement and then presented it to bloomline saying that you know i did it in my spare time so if you would like to have a look on it uh, you know we could go on with it and bloomline said yeah right away you know let's go to it and you know they introduced it in 97 and to me to this day it is the absolute best automatic moment that Lange has ever done. Um, I mean, nothing even comes close to that one. It is an automatic movement, exactly how you would expect from Lange to do, because it, it is entirely different from what you would see from Swiss again. Um, obviously, we have seen the micro rotors, right, from, from Patek for many long time, but that micro rotor on that moment from, you know, in the Saxomat, it is so thick. It is so, you know, heavily engraved, machined, and, um, and it's harmony with all the, you know, engraving from the balance cog. It just gives you a, I don't know, it, it just gives me an amazing feeling to rest. Mm -hmm. And other than that, of course, you have the zero reset mechanism on that one too. And I mean, that's a brilliant addition for a, you know, wristwatch in 97 which you sell for pennies compared to what you sell the longer one or, I don't know, datagraph or anything chronograph for. And, I mean, to me, that is the most under the radar longer now. Um, and then, obviously, there, there are some modern pieces like Richard Lange. Um, I mean, I think an amazing watch. 
Uh, it, it is really simple. It is extremely well made. It has its own identity from the back, you know, with, the, with that over the seconds bridge. Um, so yeah, I can say these two definitely, because it, again, it's crazy. You you can't even find a as I mean you can, but it's not as easy a rare longer one edition that people don't know about. Mm, um, as yeah. as longer ones started to sell at astronomic prices, you see one unique piece popping up in every corner of the world day after day. And it just, just like, I guess, Jacqueline said, it kind of takes the whole fun, but mm -hmm. it is the natural evolution, I guess. Mm -hmm. What's the piece that everybody keeps coming up to you asking to see if you got it? Um, Datograph. <laughs> which, which, which one? First generation, which one? Yeah, first generation. Um, a lot of people knows about the, uh, the platinum one, platinum black yeah. dial. Yeah. So for them, which I understand because it is the face of the Datograph collection. So people just, you know, people just want that. Um, that's, that's one thing. And um, I guess the other thing is the any blue dial longer one, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, people are chasing those like crazy. Mm -hmm. And I guess the third one is the Tubion Polymerate, which is really not easy to find. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hmm. I uh for the PLM Torb. Yeah. Um I remember a friend was showing it to me in New York and back then I had no idea what this watch was, mm -hmm. right? And I mean now that I know, I was like, wow, I didn't know what I was holding at the time and it just was really <laughs> cool. I was just looking at the diamond in the Torbion cage. <laughs> Mm, and i yes. was like that's really cool that there's a diamond in there and it's so subtle until he pointed it out and uh and then you know now that watch it was a rose gold black dial and yeah i, mean, I know the watch friend trade, i guess yeah and that, that watch <laughs> trades for over what like half a million easily yeah. um and he bought it for 150k at auction and yeah, then yeah. i was like wow what a what a great buy um and then uh, I think I remember I messaged you when there was a white gold blue dial popped up in Europe. And then I yeah. called about the price and I was like, oh, is this right? I think they were asking for, yeah, around like 600,000 for it. Uh, yeah. I was like, wow. I guess that watch changed like three hands since you asked. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So it, it was, it was, it was purchased from Europe. Uh, from Germany, uh -huh. and then it traveled to it traveled to New New York, I guess, and then because because a dealer bought there, I guess, and then it went to another dealer from there, and finally it found its way on the wrist uh, to a collector, and the markup uh, in between is insane, actually. <laughs> so it sold a lot more than six hundred. <laughs> Wow. Well, there you have it. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. Okay. I had a question and then I guess we can end uh, this podcast because I think we're 
Yeah, that's yeah. the end of the uh, podcast. I just thought of something. You know, when you're okay. talking about how Longe should curate their own pocket watch collection or a museum, I think they very much should. And when you were working there, is there a person or like a team of people whose sole job is to go out and find these exclusive, like long forgotten, historically mm. important pieces for curation? Is are you, are you putting your hand up for that job or something? Yeah, I'm like, is there yeah. such a job? <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you know, no, Langham team listen to this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh Alf is it like, is- what did you do to me? <laughs> Thanks for mentioning it now. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I guess I, I, I haven't seen a team that is just, you know, looking out and, you know, trying to curate something. But um, they have a they have, they have a department that works exclusively mm-hmm. on the pocket watches, and um, they are a small team, but they are led by a gentleman called uh, Stian Sliva, and he is also the gentleman who refurbished the uh, pocket watch from 1903, uh, from back mm-hmm. to its old glory. And I guess it took him like eight years. And uh, I mean, it, it was a tough job for him, but. So, you know, my point is they get calls from every part of the world. And um, so that's why perhaps they don't feel the urge or the need to, mm-hmm. you know, actually do something like that. And the other part is the modern longer collectors again, or I mean, even though uh, what I mean by modern longer collectors, the wristwatch collectors, not entirely I'm talking about today. The wristwatch collectors also have tremendous pocket watch collections. Because some of the some of those people have been, you know, collecting longer pocket watches from their grandfathers or grandmas, whatever. So that's why they got into longer in the first place in the modern era. So if Lange would say that I'm going to you know, put a museum, I am, you know, 100% sure that they would find a lot of collectors who would, you know, gracefully loan their watches mm-hmm. for the showcases. So for them, I don't think it's going to be a problem. You know, the great thing about Lang is like, well, it's not the great thing, but it's funny that people in China, I see fakes, but the movement's <laughs> impossible to fake. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you see, you see comedy, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so you turn it around and it's comedy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, this is trying to pass as a Langer. Like who, who's going to, like, how can you put something like that? Because, you know, glass, uh, you know, transparent case back and you think this is going to, I mean, it obviously works because they keep making it, but I, yeah. I've seen the like fake data graph. I don't like, it just made me laugh, you know? Yeah. You still get the blue chatons and everything, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, yeah. It, you, you can't just fake it, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. I have no idea what they're trying at all. Right. So I have the last question here, which is yeah. if you could see Langer, if you could ask Langer to produce any watch, yeah, maybe it could be like a, a reissue that you'd really want to see. Maybe it could be that sports watch you said. But what would you like to see Lange produce? Mm-hmm. And I know that could be a difficult question to answer. So I'll also give you a bit of room and say, you know, it could be an alteration to already something existing as well. Right, right. Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, I mean, if this comes out then... in two years' time, you know yeah. where you heard this first, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, yeah, from from the general perspective, for me, it is definitely the uh, the model of pearl dial longer ones. 
Yeah. Uh, Talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I would and love to see those. No, I would love to own one, not see one. <laughs> Please, are they listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, if anybody, if anybody's from Langen, like listening to this podcast, I swear, la- like long, long ones. What do you want? You might as well just put it on the statement right now. I want. Yeah. Because uh, realistically, they're not going to make the full gold ones or the mother pearl ones, right? So I want a Venturine dial with the baguettes, mm. long A1, please. Will, will you take <laughs> one without baguettes or does it have to have baguettes? I can take one without, but I just think it's so loud anyways. So you have to go over the top with that one. There's no in between. <laughs> Because okay. you can't yeah. even wear it out during the day and be like, yeah, this is like low key. It's not. The <laughs> dial is just crazy. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay, there it is on record. <laughs> let's see if, let's yeah. see if this podcast has got any legs. Yeah. <laughs> Let me send this to them on LinkedIn to all of them. <laughs> Obviously, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, from the from the general perspective, it's definitely a more uh, how to say exotic longer one editions. <sighs> it can be Guilloche, as Lang Lang said, or mm. I don't know any mother of pearl variation. I guess would be fantastic. Mm. Um, I, I would definitely, you know, would love to have a platinum longer one with a full mother of pearl dial, but a dark mother mm. of pearl. Oh, right? yeah. I guess they. I guess they made it for Japanese market, um, mm-hmm. which was 25 pieces, um, but I haven't even seen one, right? Um, but Have you seen you know, the ones the, with the blue mother of pearl? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's beautiful. I think that, that yeah, was the front from, longer from one. From France. Not, yeah, yeah, but not the France. longer one. Yeah, I yes, saw, I think yes. I saw one or two for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are also very much beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But my ultimate piece would be, I guess, a. Polymerate. I don't know. Again, yeah, to be on polymerate. Understandable. Yeah, to be on polymerate, perhaps with, I mean, the extravagant, just like I said, perhaps with, uh, you know, ruby bezel, uh, mm-hmm. but with baguettes, and perhaps Jeez. with a, you know, with a full, with a yeah. full black dial, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something yeah, very nice for me. <laughs> wow. I mean, you asked oh. for my dream, so. <laughs> yeah, that's well, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Dreams have Can to I be wild. Yeah. Hypothetical question. What would happen if I got the address for the factory or like the head uh, head office and wrote a letter to be like, please, I would like this to be made? What would actually happen with that letter? Does it get thrown um, in the bin or does someone actually no, read it? Yeah, someone reads it and yeah. you would say thanks for your interest for Alang and Zone. So please consult with your closest boutique and <laughs> thank you for your passion or whatever. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, perhaps if you would ask 10 years ago, you know, that would yeah. be perhaps a reality. Hmm. But now I guess they are not even you know, close to making unique pieces uh, for mortals like us. <laughs> okay. yeah. But do they do it though? Do they do it for VVVIPs? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, I mean, what I what I can say, I saw uh, I saw a collector's unique piece. 
Mm. Um, that was like what uh, they produced it four to five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he showed me himself. So they're definitely doing it from time to time. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a routine thing or if you can just ask Ivan a unique manga or so. Back in the days, they made amazing stuff. One collector from Japan has this unique piece for his birthday, unique set, not piece, uh, for his birthday. It is so there is this pocket watch of Langa. Uh, and it has it has its uh, how to say it has its cover. Right, mm-hmm. and there's a hole in the middle that you can see only the hour and minute hand, and but around back. it, sorry, hunter case back. No, no, no. I'm talking about from the front. It also oh, has a, it also has a yeah cover in the front as well, and it has a hole in the middle where you can see hour mm-hmm. and minute hand, and then around you have enameled uh, hour indication, so you mm-hmm. can even read the time when the cover is closed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you open it, it is. I mean, extremely ostentatious with a lot of engraving, a lot of colors. I mean, I could just share with you guys this. And uh, it's a brilliant piece. So this gentleman from Japan asked this in a rather wristwatch format. And they made it like a, you know, it's a Langa one, but it has a Mm -hmm. cover with fully engraved gold. And then, you know, you open it and then it is again fully engraved dial. On the back, it has a hunter case back with glass the crest. And this is three pieces like that one. So back in the days, they were going, they were going really out of the way to create unique pieces. But that was back in the days. That was insane. <laughs> so like, where yeah. does this guy live? Is he like the emperor <laughs> of Japan? <laughs> like, I want to know. Yeah, yeah wanna... he is, he is a, yeah, he's an amazing collector. I have a funny story, if I may share. I don't know if we are. No, please do time, share but... his address. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Shut up and give me the address. I don't care about your story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with, this, uh, with this gentleman. So I only knew him uh as as hearsay you know i knew people who knew the gentleman but i never even you know uh. i don't know had the chance to even write to him or speak to him um and then uh when i was at Lange, they told me that there's a group of collector coming from and um they told me the you know name of the collector and i mean i said is this the guy i mean because he wants to keep it pretty private so i can't i can't mm. just utter his name and um, yeah, they said, yeah, yeah, he's coming here. And um, I immediately went on to the showroom because <laughs> at that day, I didn't have anything to do. It was summertime. <laughs> I was so like, that's if I... professional. No, 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 no. What I mean by I, had, I didn't have anything to do. <laughs> yeah. I, so if I don't show around, if yeah. I don't show collectors yeah. around in the summertime, yeah. I would go just with my short and shirt, right? So uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so they told me this guy came and you know with my short and shirt i just ran into the showroom (laughs) it was completely inappropriate for the brand and you know i said hello um you know i am this guy i have been you know following and hearing about you for many many long years and he told me that actually i know about you too and i was what man you know are you kidding me like how do you know and he said yeah yeah yeah. I mean, I don't speak English, but, you know, you're kind of famous in our watch community in Japan. You know, we like Langa watches, so, you know, we follow you, et cetera. And then I, you know, in the, in the conversation, I asked him, so, you know, what are you wearing? 
and the guy literally pulls out the unique tourbillon plumerite, uh, 36 millimeters platinum black dial with diamond indices. And I asked him like, can I just take a photo perhaps? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah just go ahead. And I literally spent he's like missing a finger. and i literally spent like 10 minutes to get the photo because my hands were absolutely shaking you know i i couldn't even i couldn't even hold the watch you know when i when i first shake it shook his hand yeah my hands were completely shaking i couldn't take a photo and then i just gave the camera to a friend there and dude i mean just take a picture for me because I can't do it. <laughs> and yeah, that, that, that was a great moment. That's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing when yeah. they say like, yeah, I know you as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It was a very, very uh, proud moment for me. Wow. Mm. Oh my God, that's amazing. Is it that's this like, watch? Yeah. Um, right, exactly that one. Mm. <laughs> do you think it'll work if I go to Japan and I'm like... I'm on the video. <laughs> it's actually me. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Could be why not? Nobody, I guess, nobody knows. Yeah, unfortunately, they have seen me. So, <laughs> but we can work on your style. So, it should be pretty easy. Sure. I'll work on it. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's a great story, Al. Like, thank you for sharing. And, there's many great stories you shared in that story and also the previous episode as well so yeah that ends the main interview had a great blast we are back again into the reverso round so three questions again Mm. okay Mm. yeah sorry thing so what would be your i mean you guys is one watch that we do keep for your lives then oh no, you should ask Long Long. If I Why? give you the address of the Japanese collector, what would you do? Yeah, yeah. Ask her that one. Or no, okay. no, no. Ask Long Long. What would you do for the address of the Japanese Okay, first of all, can we put this into context? I'll, there's a chance I'm flying this week to Japan. So this was this is what I would do. First, I go to Google Maps and I see like like around the area like close this guy part of yakuza like other people standing around (laughs) i would check and then i would just find a hotel around there and kind of just like stand there and wait for this guy to come out (laughs) and i just really want to see it I really uh, think yeah. if someone is such a big watch collector, he obviously has some kind of personality where he's somewhat patient, right? And if you ask nicely enough, he might be <laughs> like, sure, look at my watches or something. <laughs> if you ask nicely, right? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on how you ask exactly. <laughs> no, I know exactly how she'll job. ask. She'll be like, hey, you don't know me, but I know you. I run this watch cataloging service. (laughs) I've never had a client, but it would mean a lot (laughs) if you became my first client. Yeah, and you can check with Alp. He'll give you a referral. (laughs) The handshaking guy. Yeah, too funny. (laughs) Hmm. Oh, but anyways, yeah, ask your question. Yeah. What was it uh, if you had to keep one? Right, yeah. Who's it to? Back we, to you. Who's it to? Do we own this watch already? 
Um, doesn't matter actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. if you if we don't own that watch, then it just opens up a whole it's new tough. world. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, you should again. clarify, uh, Alb. I think you should do yourself a favor because we can spend like another thirty right. minutes just choosing. Right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. You should own. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Long go. <laughs> okay. If there's a fire, datograph. And if there's a blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, honestly, datograph. I thought about it. If okay. I really have to just take one, yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah, it deserves it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sorry, Al. Even though you're on the call, but I'm gonna go paddock for me. <laughs> <laughs> Al represents Panerai. Who cares? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when you say pa, I was really happy that you were gonna say yeah. panerai. Then came the tag. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be the, this. The, the uh... day, the day, like Jacqueline comes and messages me and say, "I just bought a panerai." Oh, that, maybe that's time to get out. Like, honestly, no, like... I would definitely buy a lot. If Jacqueline buys one, I'm like, I'm gonna buy six. I <laughs> <laughs> like, put it in a safe or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be a uh, this uh, paddock perpetual chrono that I have um, that that I almost lost and and uh, mm. never would have gotten back if it if some like miracle didn't happen. So it holds a special place in my heart. Got it. Is it the thirty nine seventy? Yes. Yes. It okay. is. Yeah. You, Dan? Yeah. So when he asked the question, when Al he asked the question, the first mm. gut feeling I came to was actually uh my father-in-law's uh, rolex date just wow. so like, he, he handed me that you know he unfortunately he passed away like a year ago so it's still very fresh and so yeah I, i'm sorry man i just don't think i could could not take that watch you know right i right. think i think Absolutely. it's not like which one would you want is which one would you regret like yes not mm-hmm. take you, you know what i mean like it's got yeah, like, that sour Absolutely. taste to yeah. it so so probably, th- yeah, definitely probably that watch. I don't think I'd have a choice, really. Yeah. yeah absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah good question. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go on to the... Do you have any other questions while we're at it? Might as well. No. Okay. All right. Okay. No. We, can cut, we can cut that bit out then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any more questions for me? No. <laughs> right. No. I'll push around. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Sorry, that around. was really funny. <laughs> Dan was so genuine. Expected a question. Alp, you should have just made up some random question <laughs> to make him feel better. <laughs> like, how old but are it, you? I guess. It was how you answered it. You were like, you froze for a little bit? No. <laughs> because I thought in the two seconds. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, we'll cut that part out. Um, right. Yeah, so the pump push around. First question, uh, do you prefer vintage or modern Long A? So I guess, but how do we discern this? Like vintage is pre, I mean, you wrote this question, Dan, like what is vintage? I guess 90s and mid 2000. Yeah, okay, and versus now. Category. Versus now, right. yeah, which would you vintage, prefer? Absolutely, absolutely vintage. old, yeah. Mm. Ah, okay, right. 
Your second favorite watch brand after Lange? Um, from from the big guys, is it? Well, not not Panerai, but like <laughs> not Panerai. Big. Oh my god! You know what? He's not gonna regret yet. <laughs> yeah. He's he's not gonna. We should take the lane, yeah. Uh, like Alp, yeah. Pa- Paneristi or Pan Panawikipedia or Panapedia or something, yeah. Spare time, Langapedia. <laughs> he is the Panerai expert. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely protect Philippe, I guess, for mm. me. Mm. By the way, though, did uh, you did you have a long affair with Rolex? Did you ever like spend much time? I mean, it's a brand yeah, not yeah. really mentioned, you know. Yeah, I did, I did. Um, but but to me, it was quite a fast transition uh, from Rolex to the other guys, mm. um, okay. because I mean, to me, the difference—not to me, but to everybody—difference is obvious between what Lange Patek and all the other guys are doing and what Rolex is doing, right? So, where I find value for myself has been in you know this area of really crafting a watch, you know, no matter the price point, uh, but really crafting it, you know, working at a human human scale. So. For me, Rolex has never been an you know attractive point, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But the second one is definitely Patek Philippe. Mm. Choice. Okay. Your favorite shisha flavor. <laughs> um, I don't smoke, so <laughs> actually. Okay, we'll cut that okay, out. Your favorite? No, 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 no. We won't. Your favorite but... other kind of smoking. <laughs> 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 but I mean, but but the one that I love to smell the most should be uh, melon, I guess. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, a watch that you would like to acquire that isn't a long Um. Yeah. Patek twenty four ninety nine. Ah, God. So yeah. that's, that's like yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> Yeah, duh. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which mean, series? Yeah, which series? Yeah, which series though? Uh, second. Yeah, mm. duh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, duh. But well, anybody yeah, that know. says, have you have you met anybody who said that four or something? Have you ever heard anybody say four? <laughs> yeah, or three. Yeah, you have? I don't mind the third one actually because I f- feel like it's more like easier to wear in my opinion anyways mm, okay. like this is me imagining it's my daily watch <laughs> by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to the grocery right. store in my 25 <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's it's yeah. an obvious answer right i mean i don't know if there is anything more i don't know era defining than a perpetual mm. kind of chronograph from Patek. so mm. yeah so, yeah Good that'll be the day three of us yeah. four of us wearing a 24.99 yeah, we can we can wear in shares, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. Uh, next one. Your favorite comfort food? Um. Yeah. Uh, Two a.m. pizza. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I thought he was gonna be like testicles or something. I thought he was gonna say doner kebab. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, because I mean, to, what flavor? To Kebab is not a kebab is like an experience for me, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially here in Turkey. So if I go to eat a kebab, then I mean I am extremely selective, and actually, you know, it's a whole ordeal and an event for me. Mm. So that's why mm. I didn't say kebab. I respect you, you, kebab a lot. You, you're really building it up. So 
you know, if we go to Turkey, yeah, it better, it better, you know, deliver. Yeah, absolutely, man. There, there was just a uh, a gentleman and a lady uh, from UK just three days ago, and um, I gave them a couple of places, and they're just in love, and they're extended their stay for like five more days to just to eat <laughs> wow. more kebabs. Wow. So <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Uh, now is that a sponsored uh, thing? <laughs> Are you not yeah. telling us something? Yeah, has a kebab store. This is the side side job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would okay. love it actually. <laughs> That's good. One book to recommend to read about Langey. Um, to read it's it's Reinhard Meister's books definitely. Mm. um yeah uh watchmakers from saxony is one edition and then yeah. the other edition is from uh 1845 up until the 2011 or so uh where he covers it all i guess there is no better book i mean you don't need any other book anyways <laughs> that's that's the only one <laughs> okay mm. who would you like us to interview next that you know say the japanese guy <laughs> i was gonna say it <laughs> um yeah yeah definitely who would you um yeah perhaps someone from uh perhaps mike manjos okay because i mean he is an extremely funny guy and i'm pretty sure that you guys would get along very well and i mean he has an incredible you know insider knowledge so he would be an amazing guest here okay thank you very much i'd love to have him on but isn't he like really busy uh yeah he can make time i guess <laughs> he's so busy this, this sounds like people don't really work in long <laughs> they're just like <laughs> sitting there no, 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 i was gonna say when when out when out ran down in his shorts right <laughs> and he said oh you know i do it i do it like when there's nobody booked in you so didn't book anybody in you know you so like didn't make that available time slot yeah like for for the tour or for people to come in so that you could go down right oh yeah yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah like honestly everyone knows that trick right yeah. <laughs> last last one. Oh no there's two more Wait, uh, you think if we get Mike on, we can ask him about like market wraps and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Can you connect him to us? Yeah, sure. It's pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, he's not a Japanese guy, so I can do it. <laughs> yeah, long one's crying there. She's, she's like, oh, quiet. <laughs> yeah, like this just sucks. Ella <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get a chance to offer her service. <laughs> 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 okay uh next one someone other than your parents that you look up to and why Oof. um yeah it's, it's gonna be a cliche kind of i guess but i don't know if you if you heard <laughs> <laughs> what? i thought what? you're gonna say no, something like guys. i thought you're gonna say something like <laughs> gunter or walter you know Oh, that would be too much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I definitely cheesy. love them and yeah, yeah I look after them, but there are more important figures, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, in, uh, the founder of Turkish Republic is a gentleman called uh, Atatürk. I ever read or read about him, heard about him. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, he is and always been the idol. Uh, and I don't think that's gonna, ever going to change. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Says, I don't need superpower. I mean, I'll just need a lot of cash <laughs> so I can become the next Japanese guy. <laughs> Have you guys seen those um, magic shows where the beggar takes a cup and shakes it and then coins just keep like coming yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that one. Yeah. Like, why would no one just say, I want to keep like producing money from my hands? <laughs> like, yeah. No. Anything I touch turns into diamond yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. But what? What? What superpower would you choose? Oof, um. I don't know. I'm thinking of it, but it's gonna be again a lot of cliche. Perhaps. Um. I don't know. Mind reading. I mean, uh-huh. it's the most boring uh-huh. answer, I guess. But... No. No one said that before. Yeah. No really. One said that. Yeah, no one said Oh, that interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, mind reading would be great because if you we were playing Settlers of Catan, I would just <laughs> <laughs> imagine what that guy is doing because my life is so small in this way. <laughs> That's why I want a mind reading. <laughs> oh, you're gonna say I want mind reading because the next time that I go into a kebab store and I ask them for the secret ingredient in their tahini sauce or whatever, yeah. and they don't tell me, I'm gonna get that because they're my competitor. <laughs> because you're in your real life, you own a chain of kebabs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that could that could be a side quest. Yeah, yeah. but the priority is katan. Yeah, no, exactly. First world problems. <laughs> right last last one uh okay. your favorite life quote that's a common one we have um yeah my favorite life quote um it can be <laughs> I, mean, I don't know again it's kind of, kind of perhaps <laughs> cheesy, but it's, it's from Atatürk again mm. and um it says uh peace in the country peace in the world Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess it obviously applies to a huge uh, scale, but I think it's very much true for the people, uh, person himself as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are peaceful himself, then you are peace for everywhere. So mm-hmm. for me, it has been the quote, as always. I always try mm-hmm. to you know, approach positive and you know, to try to keep calm for things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that ends nice. the podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been an epic uh almost four absolute hours pleasure. it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure yeah great to have you on and thank you for sharing so much uh it was a great laugh really it was yeah so, absolutely thank co- you very much guys. good luck with your kebab store yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely definitely yeah. yeah i can i can give you coupons if i ever okay <laughs> that's just too generous thank you <laughs> but the address written in behind so <laughs> <laughs> so Al, do you have any last words or do you have anything you would like to say or you're going to say no <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for having me it's, it was really an absolute pleasure and I mean I, I'm a big fan of your work so just keep it up okay thank thanks thank a lot alright yeah. we'll see you guys on the next one ciao bye bye as always thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast 
We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.